people around the company were like, oh, I know these people, they really think customer first, this will be no problem. The mistake that we made is we were really trying to do sales, but we were calling, we just felt bad about calling it sales, yeah. which I think was a pretty naive thing. So yeah. it was kind of in this middle ground. And the reason that was so bad is because people would say, are we doing sales now? And we would say, oh, no, no, this isn't sales. Like, <laughs> no, 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 this no, is, yeah, yeah. you know, customer success or this is something else. And then yeah. we're like, who are we kidding? This is really bad because the same fears that we had are the same concerns that the rest of the team had, which is we just want to do this in a really good way that is really customer first. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, a show about those who are in the trenches actually doing the work. I'm Patrick Campbell. And I'm Ben Hillman. And on today's show, how Wistia's co-founder, Brendan Schwartz, uses the strength of his and the rest of the company's convictions to create a software juggernaut that serves 300,000 businesses daily. Also, just a quick note. If you share this episode on Twitter with the hashtag protected, we'll hook you up with some nice ProfitWell swag. We've spoken about culture and brand before on Protect the Hustle and, and given some really practical advice on how to effectively kind of hone your culture in the right direction and build your brand so that it permeates throughout every interaction your company has internally, externally, and, and everything in between. Yet there's something deeper and it's more amorphous and it's what I'm referring to as the company's soul that's much harder to codify and, and, and much harder to put your finger on. Right. And, you know, there's certain products that people ship or, or content that gets produced and put out there where you can look at it without knowing the actual brand putting it out. And you can think, oh, this is a Nike commercial or this person should work at HubSpot. And then you, of course, find out that they already do. Yeah. And this has actually happened to me actually last night because... I was watching an Under Armour commercial. I didn't know it was an Under Armour commercial till the end, but it, it felt so much like a Nike commercial that I thought it was a Nike ad. And so I guess this kind of cuts both ways. But this likely comes from all things that we've already spoken about. You know, the values being written down, the brand positioning statement being out there, the cultural behaviors that you encourage, the people that you hire. But there's one extremely important piece to all of this. What's that? It's conviction. When I take a look back and I think about the people that we've interviewed over the past number of weeks, they've given us an incredible amount of advice and practicality. But the one trait that separates these individuals from those who don't protect the hustle, it's that these individuals have the conviction to take what they've come up with and dig their heels in. Okay, yeah, that, that does make a ton of sense. You know, everyone that we've interviewed hasn't necessarily been a type A personality like myself, but they've all <laughs> been strong-willed of their non-negotiables. Exactly, and I, I think no company and no person represents this more than Brendan Schwartz, the CPO and co-founder over at Wistia. It's one of my favorite companies on the planet. I've known Brendan for a really, really long time, um, long enough to call him a close friend. And he's one of those people who speaks last, but always speaks the truest. And Wissy has been on a 10-year journey, as you know, with plenty of twists and turns that now centers on video hosting and video creation for businesses. But they're one of the most creative and well-defined brands on the market with like you said, over 300,000 businesses using Wistia every single day that we touched on in the intro. What's helped them dearly is, is this conviction, though, uh, and, and this conviction in doing things the Wistia way. It's caused problems in the past, but they've dug their heels into problems in a way that always keeps them coming out on top. So let's jump in by first hearing Brendan's thoughts on what the Wistia way is and how they've developed it, 
And then this amorphous concept of the company's soul that turns out to be a battle between rigidity and fluidity. When you say the Wistia way, like what is what does that mean to you guys? Like, is that codified? Like, is that like a couple of sentences? <laughs> like, is that your values? Like, what is that? Yeah, mean? that's yeah. funny. I think that it, to the extent that we can better define that, it would be very helpful yeah, yeah, internally. Yeah. And I, I think it's a combination. It's yeah, the mission, the brand promise, yeah. our values, and then obviously like any company, you know, your value. All those things are words to describe some kind of more amorphous or something yeah. that you want. I know want. when I see it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is also, there's like a serious dark side to that, I think. You know, sure. it's really unfair sometimes to say, oh, this isn't in the Wistia way and you can't define that clearly because yeah. how, how can anybody work and excel in that environment? It's where it's a, like, throw yeah, a Wistia way card. Yeah, yeah that yeah, doesn't yeah. make any sense. So we've been, I mean, we've worked since we started to better define Honestly, when you're really small, it feels super corporate to write down your values and yeah. talk about them. But it's something that we did pretty early on, and it has actually like paid off. We've changed them a few times, which also feels weird because you're changing your and values. Right, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, how could you change your values? But I just think of that as this is the best proxy we have for this. I don't know. There's always a way that we've wanted to do stuff that it's sometimes hard to express, and so this yeah. is like the current best way that we has that ever like, kind of bit you in the ass, like. <laughs> I know you guys, like, and I know Kevin, your COO a little bit, and he's a guy who's transformed huge organizations, and I know just by talking to you and Savage, like, before Kevin, it wasn't like you were disorganized, but, like, definitely, like, you guys started to step, <laughs> well, you might feel really disorganized, but you, now you guys have definitely stepped up, like, the whiskey away, or, like, you know, that development, has that, like, bit you a little bit in terms of, I guess, like, on the balance of, like, rigidity versus, you know, kind of, like... Anarchy. That's been a struggle for us, and I imagine for any growing company. We have a lot of people who are not, I mean, in, in any small company, you sure. know, it tends to attract a lot of people who aren't really rule followers or people yeah. who are great with process because they want to just kind of feel their way through it. And that is good in certain things and then doesn't really scale well when yeah. you have to coordinate larger groups of people. Sure. I'd say it feels like we've spent a lot of energy and gotten a lot wrong and learned a lot the past few years in terms of calibrating and getting that balance right. Yeah. I think at times we've been, we've put process in place or been rigid where we shouldn't have or been overly yeah. structured or formulaic yeah, yeah. just to kind of, you know, feel like we're getting ready to scale something versus totally. actually this is new and it should be more in this, you know, even though our company's bigger, this piece of it might be new and should be more fluid. Like okay. sales is a good example. Like just because, the, you know, if you're starting a new group within a company, you know, it's a new thing. It should be pretty what, fluid. and to, it should look like. Right? Yeah, to figure it out before it kind of you is. You can't read a book on sales and be like, we're going to exactly do this because things are different. You know, yeah. yeah. And so some of that we've gotten wrong. And I think, I know I have a tendency to try to, you know, systematize. It's weird because I'm not a super process-driven person. I want some kind of homogeneity in these teams. Yeah. So then, but then you look at it and you're like, well, here's a team, say our customer happiness team is, 20 something people like that should probably have more structure and sure. clarity than totally. uh you know trevor and chris on the video team it's just two people working together you guys are really yourselves you know what i mean like when you walk into wistia it's like it's not like a cult i think it's a little dramatic but like, i think it's very um like oh this is this feels like wistia like 
I met someone who worked at Wistia and had like a 15 minute conversation, like without them telling me where they worked, I'd be like, oh, you should really talk to Wistia. Like, you know, and they'd be like, oh, I work there. And I feel like that's that impression. Like, has it always been that's like cool. that? That's cool. No. Okay. It definitely <laughs> was not like that when we started. So Chris and I were 23 and we've been doing this 10 punk years now. Punk kids out of college. Punk, punk kids out of college. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously there's so much that you don't know or that we still don't know. I think in our worst moments, we would always ask ourselves, especially when we started, like when people would say, hey, like this is how you structure this deal or this is how you do this thing. We'd have a funny feeling about this doesn't feel right. I feel like we spent so much time learning to trust our instincts. Looking back, big mistakes that we've made have been when we've ventured away from that and tried to pretend to be something that we're not. One thing that was really funny to look back on, and it was not funny at the time, of course, when we raised a first round of angel money, all of a sudden, we were, we were doing a lot of things right before that. We were really lean and scrappy. We were signing up customers. We were doing sales in person. We were iterating on the product and just going to talk to people. What do you need? Okay, we'll build this. This is right. And things were working pretty well. And then suddenly when we raised that money and we brought on two other people that we were working with, we were like, now we're a real business. Like, And so we started doing all these, we were, I don't know, we say we were playing office, but we were just mimicking yeah. things that we thought real businesses should do. So we got an office and then Chris and I would dress up in business casual. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe because we, you know, we were young and we thought we should Like, be, oh, these people are older than us that we hired. We need to like, yeah, we should look professional. And like, but I mean, that's obviously not the reason that they're working with us. There's sure, nothing sure, to do yeah. with it. Yeah, we would do a lot of dumb stuff like that. We also, early on, we didn't have, when we raised that money, we didn't have a formal board. We talked to the investors and they said, oh, it'd be really, you know, you guys should do mock board meetings almost. And we started doing them and they were kind of helpful at first, but then we fell on this weird track where we were like, any big decision needs to happen in this Oh, board meeting. Yeah, yeah. So we'd be four people in a room trying to figure out what we should be doing, what the business model should be, how the product should evolve. Yeah. Those are all big decisions that should just be made hourly at yeah, that yeah, stage yeah. in a company. Okay. We're like, oh, this needs to go to the board. Like, this is a we big wait. decision. We need to wait until week six to have this board. Exactly. Yeah, and we'd yeah, wait yeah. to have it. And then we'd be talking with some people who wouldn't even have the day-to-day context of the business. And they're like, why are you asking us this? Yeah. yeah. And finally, after a few months of that, we were like, oh my God, what are we doing? And then just dissolve, we, we kind of swung the pendulum the other way and we we're like, we need to make these decisions as they come up. And then that, that was, felt really good because it felt again, like we were in direct control and we could do, the four of us would decide what is right for the business because we're the people who are in it and had the most context. Totally. And we get advice about, you know, you always get stuck or have things that you're wrestling with. And then we, you know, call these people up for advice and that relationship worked really well. There's something to be said about doing things that you think other people think you should do versus knowing that those things just don't feel right. It's, it's kind of funny how I imagine uh, Brendan and Chris in a big oversized suits going, we must business today. <laughs> it's probably felt like that, especially given those those board meetings that they had. <laughs> did you ever feel like that when we were when you found a proper well? That's a good question. I, I'm sure I did. But nothing really pops out that that's super obvious. I, I think we ran into a world where there was just so much to do that we ended up not even really being able to think about those things. Uh, one piece that does come to mind is that I used to be very self-conscious about my age 
because everyone in the pricing space is is pretty old. Um, I actually like I, I don't even you know this is something I've developed, but like I don't go clean shaven you know to any real meetings because I, I look super super young when when I have my baby face out. <laughs> well, so did that insecurity come instinctually? Um, there was always the, there's always this insecurity. I think I'm one of the most, you know, insecure people in tech, um, which I think has driven really, really good results, but also really, really bad results. But when did that start? Well, I, I well, yeah, I think it, it got really bad. I think when I was in a room with, um, a former CMO of Netflix, uh, who was running marketing at a customer that we had, um, it wasn't Netflix, but it was a different company that, that she had gone to. And, she point blank called me out in front of this room of people on being too young. Uh, it was extremely uncomfortable um, because it wasn't about the data or the product. It was, you know, well, you must be too young for me to even give you my time. Um, that's not what she actually said, but that's 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 how, or that's the emotion at least I had. Maybe she wasn't even intending that. It kind of felt like she was, but that scarred me a bit and it threw me for a loop because all of a sudden we were in this world where you know, I was already, you know, trying to, you know, help build something from nothing. And at that point it was just me and Peter and a couple of other folks. And so, you know, I, I think that what I've learned though, is that those types of people, like, I just don't have time for, you know, if they can't accept me for me, if you will, then, then I'm not going to give them my time. And I know that sounds, you know, kind of scary because you want to be everything to all people, but if it's not about the data and about the truth, you know, which has no age requirement, at least in, in my mind, then it's not going to be a good relationship anyways. So, so why kind of pursue it, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. It, it reminds me actually a lot of what Brennan said in terms of honing these instincts and honing these convictions. Right. And I think it goes back to what we've heard before, uh, which is all about people, right? You know, making sure you're hiring the right people that helps you make sure that you can really hone those instincts um, rather than, you know, being thrown, you know, left, right, and center with, you know, d different uh, loose convictions, if you will. But as Brennan says, it's, it's deeper than hiring just, you know, smart people who can understand the framework and execute. You have to actually find people that care and obsess over the things that you obsess over. Yeah, and that's that's just impossibly hard, right? Because you know, that's that's something where you have to kind of screen for that in a hiring process, which is really really difficult. But that's exactly what drives that that strength of conviction, that soul within a company. So listen to what Brendan has to say about having that higher bar for hiring um, that ironically really requires this flow from rigidity to fluidity. Um, and I would pay careful attention to how some of this is a bit, you know, you kind of know it when you see it. I guess what I'm super curious about, because I think it's something that I'm struggling with, trying to figure out how to hone my instincts, I guess, because all of a sudden, like, I know that what got me here isn't necessarily going to get me to the next level um, or the company to the next level for that matter. But it's also like it did get me in the company at certain points. So like, how did you like hone some of those instincts? Is there anything like anything specific or is it just something like, eh, you just, just do it. And that's like a common like trip. Like what got you here is not going to get you there. You it's it's going to be different yeah, challenges, yeah, yeah. of course, like, and sure. you have to adapt and have to do things. But I feel like, I only feel like I know this for myself and I yeah, barely, yeah. you know, we're like early in a bigger well, journey, like, hopefully. talking to you because you guys are like, you're like a few years forward from where we yeah. are. That's well, why I like, like, oh, what did, what did Brennan screw up? Do right. <laughs> I can like steal basically. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's just my own, 
but like when I hear that and think about that, sometimes it makes me the bad version. I think is then when you question your your like, sure. oh, I have to change my instincts or I have to adapt them in order to get to this next phase. And yeah. I think I think that piece is wrong. I mean, okay. I know that's not what you're saying, but no, so I mean, when I've heard that before, that a little bit what I'm saying until like, yeah, that's good advice. When people have said that to me, I'm like, oh yeah, I probably need to change a whole lot about like what I value and how I think about problems. Yeah. And then I feel like sometimes, like in the worst part, you find yourself back in that space where you're not very, you know, you're not very confident and you're doing something that you're not that good at because you think this is what you're supposed to be doing or you yeah, should be doing. Yeah. And I feel like all of our, like our best successes have come when we've been able to make our strength stronger and yeah. then hire people who are really good to fill in Filling those weak, those weaker yeah, yeah. sides. I think it's good and healthy to it work on those sense. things. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like, and maybe this is a defeatist attitude, but there's some yeah, things yeah. that I'm a big optimist and like to think people can overcome any challenge. Yeah. But I also think people have pretty motivation, intrinsic motivation about certain things. You know, there's certain things I know about myself that I'm not, like I, I like to work on them and I think I can get better so I'm not yeah. completely horrible at them. But I don't think I will ever be the best in the world at those yeah. things. Like but I want to work with someone who yeah, yeah. who can do that. Cool. And then I want to be really good at the stuff I'm yeah. good at versus thinking, okay, well, I'll just do everything. Did you guys, like, is it something where you complement each other, you and Savage, really well? Do you guys have disagreements? Or have you just gotten incredibly lucky and, like, there hasn't been an all-out brawl in anything? <laughs> we haven't had an all-out brawl on anything. I think that wouldn't work work out well for me. This is the only business I've run. But I know from talking to other people that it's a pretty rare situation to go in to start a business with someone you're really good friends with and still be... And not hate each other. Like, yeah, like as good, if not better friends 10 years later. A big part of that is things we didn't really know but have really aligned values. I think that has a big just foundation of trust that whenever we're making decisions that the motivations are right. So maybe we'll be saying the wrong thing or yeah. we'll disagree about something superficially. Do you, do you think about this more when you hire like Kevin, you know, who's an exec, you know, and he's joining the team? Like, or is it more just the vetting, the whiskey away, like these different things just end up producing the right people for that? I think, level? no, I think the values match is something that is really important. Yeah. And that is... Uh, it's difficult sometimes to suss out in hiring. Because I think the way that it manifests itself is if you have two people with different values but may kind of agree superficially on things, you'll see them make lots of little decisions, perhaps in a way that they're optimizing for something that isn't important to you or is important to the organization. I mean, any smart, high-capacity person can look at a set of values and try to use that to frame their decisions. But I feel like no matter how much we try to be you know, super logically driven, there is this emotional state of being and that you will fall back on, you know, when you're not thinking about it subconsciously, you'll yeah. be making these decisions based on what you, what you value. It's also when you've hired more people, you can observe, you know, more of these patterns. The work that they're doing or the things that they're really good at or spending their attention doing stems from whatever motivates them and whatever they really love to do. I mean, that's something that we also try to cultivate here a lot and believe in people do their best work when they're having fun and really engaging in it and that shows through in the final 
work product. I just want people who care about the thing that they're doing more so than I do. And yeah. then that helps me sleep better sleep at night. Yeah. Well, because they're just going to be so much, they're going to care even yeah. more deeply and just be so excited about it. A designer that we hired recently, who yeah. she is amazing, she slacked me while I was at lunch and we had a hackathon recently and the project that Ben and I worked on, we made a thing so that you can upload, say upload from my phone, you put in your phone number and it texts you a link that you can just open and then upload straight from your phone. So we, I was working with her and some other people to say, what emoji should be, like how should this text message look to feel like it's exciting to get it on yeah, your phone? Yeah, yeah. And she's like, I know I shouldn't be thinking about this right now, but I actually think we should like not have this emoji here so the other one will stand out more. You take that much pride in your work and you care about that so much. To me, that is the magic and how great work gets done. You know, we've heard this a lot before, but this concept around falling back on the emotional state is so crucial in my mind because logic oftentimes will fail and fall to the wayside in those critical and, and sometimes emotional moments that really kind of test us and, and, and test those emotions that we have. <laughs> this all makes me a little bit uncomfortable just because it's so emotional. I'm Feelings, such an right? emotional yeah. person, but <laughs> I can't understand why you of all people are okay with talking about this. Well, I'm, I'm okay talking about it. It doesn't mean, mean I'm so comfortable. I, I'm definitely uncomfortable with it because I think that these types of things, you know, you just have to be constantly aware of. And, and there will be people who look good on paper, work hard, but they don't have that it factor. And you need to make a judgment call. Um, it's about constantly being aware and evaluating in real time. And, and to me, that's that's really what the job of the leadership team really looks like. You can't put everything in a box. Oftentimes, you know, you have to have to make those judgment calls and and like I said, just be constantly thinking about it. So this is why you talk to Facundo and Peter endlessly. Sure, yeah, and it's it's. I know it's you know can can be super annoying um, because it takes so much time. But we all care deeply and have strong convictions, so we're constantly evaluating things like this. And the only way that you can really have, or the only way you can get to those strong convictions or test those strong convictions or implement those strong convictions is by having those long conversations. And I'm not sure we're at a point where there was a, a profit well way. I think we could, you know, some of us probably could define that similarly to others, but then there would be some outliers, but I think we are getting pretty close. I think I'm still struggling here just because it is so fluid. Well, I think it's by design, right? And I think Brendan's probably a better person to, to kind of point this out, in particular how he applies this in, in a few different ways. And the most obvious one is how Wistia approaches product. Note what Brendan points out here is that it's, it's not about one way being better than the other. It's more about picking your way and sticking to it with those strong convictions. That's what creates the product soul. people feel serious ownership over something that they're going to tend that garden and make it really really great and beautiful as long as the incentives are all right so they're talking to yeah. customers any problem with that any pain they're feeling directly and any reward they feel directly i think that will produce really good results with the caveat that there are many different products that are great but have completely different aesthetics or have completely yeah. different value system. Just like anything, you kind of it's like going into someone's house. You go in and you're like, sure. okay, I get a sense of who the type of people who 
build this or what they value and, yeah. and how they think about it. I think in the same way the company has values, the product has values. I think we've probably not been as good as we should be about distilling those and writing them down. Probably largely because a lot of the team that makes a lot of decisions around that is smaller and it worked together for a long time. So there's just kind of a shorthand. But as we scale it, that's something that we've been thinking more about. Yeah. You can find people who are really motivated and have that kind of sense and then cultivate that and set up a, a structure and system where you make sure that the people building the software, the people supporting it, and the people, I think that's just good hygiene and also really celebrate as a company the small details, what makes a product great and really stamping out anything that is just not tolerating. Cut corners and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, like that, that stuff you absolutely have to do if you want something great. But then there's that other piece of what do you hold in high esteem? Like, do you care about... Uh, not a bunch of toggles and switches. Yeah, or some... Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. some of those, like, I feel like I've used... Pro I'm That's not my jam. Yeah. Like, I'm very much on the minimalist, do as little as possible in, like, a generic way that's, like, build a useful horizontal tool. I've used some products that are more technical and do that stuff in a really delightful, good way. And it's fun to use do those. Do example or no? Um, there's a product, like a new product that we started using for delivery metrics, so video delivery metrics called yeah. Mux. Delivery of email or delivery of video? Deliver of video. So okay. they're measuring how video is being delivered, how okay. fast the video starts up, is it rebuffering, okay. all things like that. So we because the analytics product is probably deep with toggles and switches and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. They have a good balance of it's it has, looks really good aesthetically. It's very clean and simple, but it has crazy depth to it. It's just interesting to see to see a balance of that. Like you you use it and you say this is clearly built by engineers in in a good way, not yeah, in yeah, yeah. people say that as like it looks like garbage and yeah. <laughs> like the UX is terrible. I gotcha, I gotcha, yeah, but this yeah. is it's just very logical and you can fill slice and dice things in a way that makes sense and it's like all like really well put together. But it has so much like power and depth yeah. to it and it's a highly technical product. I think I get it now, but this this has to be this has to have some sort of bad unintended consequences. I mean, there's no way that you're gonna have these super strong convictions and not apply those convictions incorrectly. Sure, I mean you're absolutely right, but that's that's where the fluidity comes in, right? You know, particularly when you think about parts of your business that you don't necessarily value as much. So many of us get so caught in well, this must be the way and this, this conviction, right? But you need to be constantly testing those convictions and, and open to, to those convictions not being applied particularly in the right direction. I think Wistia was really, really dogmatic about not having sales at all ever. I'm assuming that's changed because I believe they have a whole sales product and, and sales team now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Soapbox, exactly. And I, I think Brendan's going to explain more here, but it's it's less about not having a function, and it's more about doing that function in the manner that aligns with your convictions and values. Uh, that, that dogma that we often have for certain things inside a business, we, we kind of take that to the bank and, and don't do that checking like, like I mentioned previously. So let's listen in to how Brendan and, and the whole Wistia crew finally got into the world of sales and how this was better for not only their customers, but also their business as a whole as long as it didn't get in their way. For a long time, we were like, we were very militant about no salespeople, inbound only, 
slow touch, no touch kind of sales process or no, no sales process. The thing that got us excited about it was being able to provide a better service or realizing there's a whole category of people who can't buy or who we give a pretty shitty experience to, sure. to be able to help them. And so what we started to do, and it was like a pretty early mistake we made was, and part of this was good, part was bad. We took people who are on the customer happiness, our support team, and we said like, who's interested? We want to be more proactive in doing this and we want to do it in a wistia way. Sure. And so there was some trepidation around it, but a yeah. bunch of people raised their hands and were excited to do that. And some of those people had come from, they were support people at other companies who got pushed into sales yeah. or in maybe customer, customer success, success yeah. roles who really they were, their job was just to upsell sure, and they, sure, they had quotas and things like that and really bad experience and that's why they left and came here Ooh, to do support. They were like, wait a minute, this is happening all over again. Yeah, but to their credit, they were also excited to do it in the way that they thought was gonna be good for customers. On one hand, we had all the people who were starting to do that and we moved them into we were doing customer success is what we called it people around the company were like oh i know these people they really think customer first this will be no problem the mistake that we made is we were really trying to do sales but we were calling we just felt bad about calling it sales yeah. which i think was a pretty naive thing so yeah. it was kind of in this middle ground and the reason that was so bad is because people would say are we doing sales now and we would say oh no no this isn't sales, like, no, 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 no. this yeah, is, yeah, yeah. you know, customer success, or this is something else. And then yeah. we're like, who are we kidding? This is really bad because this, the same fears that we had are the same concerns that the rest of the team had, which is we just want to do this in a really good way that is really customer first. Sure. So we said, all right, we're going to call it sales. And then kind of any of those concerns we could face head on. And then we hired some, a director of sales and we made sure the person who's doing, who's running that, Pete, he is super customer first and he cares about that above all else. So it's not how we can like engineer the numbers. It's like what's best for the customer and then yeah. success is a byproduct of excellence. Yeah. So be excellent, you'll get success. That's kind so, of, I mean, and we measure it and are rigorous about it and are, you know, trying to close deals and win business. But sure. I think there is that underlying belief that if you have a good experience for customers, even if that means, hey, our platform isn't good, you should use this, you should use that, that doesn't result in business for us, yeah. that will result in the most business over the long term. Do you think you'll ever use sales as an outbound mechanism? Like, I've never heard of Wistia, but I'm using a competitor, you recognize that, or I've somehow expressed, or somehow identified myself as like a video, you know, person that, you know, needs Wistia, like, would you ever, re do you think you'll ever reach out to me, like, cold? I think if we can find a way to do it that is actually legitimately valuable for sure. people. Yeah, yeah. Like it terrifies me to just where it's very one-sided. I mean, we care a lot about building a good experience and a good brand. And that that belief of if we do the right thing, that that will take us to like a much better place in the end. I feel like it's something that goes like across all the stuff that we try to do and we try to really yeah. instill that i have no idea what the answer is if that's yeah, even yeah. possible i mean that's like sounds like of course that's like an answer like of course we would do it if we could find a great sure, way sure. to do it yeah, that yeah, fits yeah. with our mojo but totally. i don't know I, th I think that exists because you know sometimes you hear from yeah. people who are who find your company and they're like oh my god how come i didn't hear about you until just now i wish i had known yeah. so that makes you think like all right how can we do more whether it's through marketing and other channels or through some kind of outbound yeah. thing how could you find those people? Because presumably if you found them at the right time and you had a product that solved their need in a really good way, that would be useful. I mean, yeah. there's some outbound stuff I've gotten and it just happened to be the right time, good timing and yeah. it was done in a way that 
kind of wasn't overly salesy. It was a really good experience. All of the functions of building a business exist for a reason. Acquiring a customer, pricing a product for that customer, retaining that customer. But the best practices around those functions, they don't need to be followed. You can shape those functions to how you would want to build them. Your convictions, your values, the way that you do things, when you're steadfast in those because you feel they're right, you're able to bridge the divide to how you do those functions that have worked for generations. And the soul of a business is almost the start of building a company right and the result of building a company right. Exactly. And, and too many times we want to do everything. We want to do everything we can. We want to be everything to all people. When in reality, we should take a step back, understand who we are, and actually stand for something. Because only in that conviction will we ever be able to produce an entity that truly has soul. Protect the Hustle is produced by Dan Callahan and Ben Hillman, with help from Robert Byrne and Alyssa Chan. Written and produced by Patrick Campbell. If you share this episode on Twitter with a hashtag #ProtectIt, we'll hook you up with some nice ProfitWell swag. This week's episode is brought to you by ProfitWell Retain. Radically reduce your delinquent churn and stop losing revenue. ProfitWell.com/retain.